I used to be in the construction business. I had my own construction company. I was a concrete contractor. So we would build hospitals, parking garages, Dollar General stores. We would do all the concrete work on that one specific job. And several years ago, when I was still in the business, we, uh, we got in the project to build a big old apartment complex in Lafayette, right off of Collie Saloon. And so we went out there and we were, all the building slabs, were, the foundations were poured and we were working on the parking lot. Me and about a crew of about seven or eight guys, uh, all Hispanic, legal <laughs> Hispanics. And, uh, and we were working and, and the general contractor came to us on like a Thursday or Friday and he said, hey, listen, I just want y'all to know Monday when you show up, there's going to be a hundred immigrants show up. It's a framing crew that's coming. They're bringing at least a hundred and he said, it's going to be crazy. I'm just giving you a heads up. He said, they're going to get out of the van with tool belts already on, nail gun in their hand with an air hose on their shoulder. And he said, within an hour, it's going to start to sound like Vietnam or a war. And he said, I'm not kidding you. I just want you to be prepared. Like they're going to come in and take over. And I was like, yeah, right. Nobody ever shows up with like 100 people to work. Well, Monday came and 100 plus people showed up. All these vans roll in. You swear the president of the United States was coming or something. And then all of a sudden the doors bust open and these, these little Spanish guys get out and they got tool belts on, nail guns in their hands, air hoses on their shoulders. And they're just like, they're just like getting out and they're looking for something to nail. And I'm just going, and my whole crew stopped and, and we just stopped our work and we're watching. And it's like, what's going on? And within an hour, zing, zing, air compressors going on. I mean, it sounded like a war. And I'm just saying, I called my business partner. I'm like, dude, it, it happened. He's like, no way. I'm just telling you it happened. Listen. <laughs> and it was crazy. And eventually we went back to work, <laughs> my guys, because we were just like, I'd never seen anything like that before. A massive apartment complex was coming up in like minutes two by fours flying all over the place. So we got back to our work and we were busy doing our part. And then all of a sudden, just silence, just extreme, like everything stopped and just extreme silence. And it was so impactful that I looked up and I looked around and all I saw was little Spanish guys running for their lives. They were running through the fields. There was a driving range next to us. They were running through the driving range. They were running across the side streets. They were running across Collie Saloon dodging cars. I'm not kidding you. I was like, what just happened? And one of my guys came and said, boss, 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 immigration's coming. Somebody said immigration's coming. I said, are you kidding me? Like immigration's coming? Is that why a hundred Spanish guys are running all over Lafayette? I'm like, and so all of a sudden, all the work stopped. There was not another nail gun. There was not a saw running, an air compressor, or nothing. And I just sat there like dumbfounded, like, what just happened? Everything stopped. The work stopped. The project ended up falling three weeks behind because of that one thing. It took them weeks to get all those guys back. <laughs> they were gone. <laughs> but here's the crazy thing. It all stopped because of a threat. 
Nobody ever showed up. No official people showed up. Nobody showed up. All because of a threat. The title of my message today is We Are Builders. We are builders. We have but one purpose to be on this planet. To love God with all our heart, soul, and strength. Heart, soul, and mind. I always throw strength in there. Heart, soul, and mind. To love our neighbor as ourself. And to go and make disciples. Those are the three important things Jesus said before he left the planet. Love God with all you have. Love your neighbor as yourself. And go make disciples. We church folks tend to complicate that. We make it bigger than it's supposed to be and more complex than it's supposed to be. Love God with all that you have. Love your neighbor as yourself and duplicate your relationship with Jesus in somebody else. It's as simple as that. We're builders. What are we building? We're building God's kingdom. And we're called to build his kingdom until Jesus returns. Not build my kingdom. Jesus said, if you'll focus on my kingdom, I'll take care of your kingdom. But instead, we flip the script and we worry about our kingdom and we push his kingdom to the side and it becomes a secondary thing and then we get all fashade. Right? Build his kingdom. He'll build yours. Word to the wise. It's better if Jesus builds your kingdom than if you build it. So we're living in some unstable times, right? In an unstable environment. This school year to get started has been one of the craziest ones so far. I've heard from more parents about they don't know if the kids are supposed to wear a mask, not wear a mask. No, kids supposed to be vaccinated. If it's even a vaccine, a shot. My kid needs a shot. I mean, like nobody knows what to do. Little kid on the bus gets COVID. The whole bus has to quarantine for 14 days. What? How long can we keep this up? This isn't sustainable. It's an unstable environment. You throw in the mix everything that's happening across the globe in Afghanistan and Russia and China and even here in the United States, our borders are open and people are coming in by the droves and we don't know who they are. All this stuff going on. Threats to, to, in, to, in, to, to start uh, mandating vaccines. Like you gotta get a shot. My two girls are prepared to start UL tomorrow. We had a serious conversation about going to school out of state like Texas because Texas doesn't require a shot. Because me and my family, no judgment against anybody else, but me and my family are not getting a shot. That's just us. And the minute you're going to make me do something that my freedom says I don't have to do, I'm going to automatically resist. And so we're making plans that if UL decides to mandate shots, my girls are pulling out and going to college somewhere else. That's us. But all of that creates an unstable environment. I don't know about you. I've never lived through this kind of stuff before. I have no experience at this. I'm literally feeling my way through it. And I'm crying out to God for wisdom. Because I know how I normally get through things. You see, I need to make a confession this morning. I'm not afraid. I've not been afraid one day. Even when I had COVID, the devil tried to make me afraid one night when I was struggling to breathe a little bit. 
He said, oh, that's it. You're going to die. And for an instant, I felt afraid. And I was like, shut up. I ain't dying. And if I die, it's a promotion. I know where I'm going, bro. So if you kill me, great. I get a promotion. You don't kill me. Well, I'm going to stay right here. Literally, I'm not afraid. But I am nervous. One of my personality strengths is stability. I'm a stable person. You come to my house, you should sense and feel stability. My kids were raised in a very stable environment. There was no threats of divorce, no threats of splitting the house. There was no threats of this or that. It was a stable, rock-solid foundation at my house. And that comes out of my personality. That's how God made me. But when things around me get unstable, I get nervous. When I get nervous, I start acting outside of my character. And I don't like it. And so I've been nervous because things are unstable. What I feel as a pastor is that you are there too. Back up two and a half years, it was a different scenario. There was a different attitude. There was a different atmosphere. I talk to pastors all over the place. They're feeling the same thing across the globe. There's a, there's a, there's a nervousness there's a lack of enthusiasm in the church. And it's because of this unstable environment that we're living in. I want to speak to that today. This is going to be a two-part message. We'll be in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4. We're going to take the first half of the chapter today. We'll take the second half of the chapter next Sunday. And then the, the first Sunday in September, we're going to move into the book of Acts and we're going to take our sweet time getting through the book of Acts for however long that takes. And then on that September Sunday, I'm going to hand you some handouts, some notes that you can start to take notes with in paper form. We stopped that because of COVID and I'm mad, so we're going to bring it back. And then I'm going to give you a three ring mini binder to put all your little notes in for all you all you organized people that makes you feel good, you'll get you a nice cute little binder that you can put all your little notes in and keep track of all of our series as we go. Anybody that makes you feel good? All right. That's what's going to happen. So, so we're going to take Nehemiah and learn what it means to be a builder, and then we're going to go into the book of Acts, and we're going to build our expectation for what we should be seeing today in the day and times that we're living in right now. Amen. You see it? That's where we're heading. So I want to I jump into the book of Nehemiah and I want to expose the enemy's plan and I want to charge you to keep building and I want to use the story of Nehemiah to do it. Let me give you a little bit of context before we jump in. The Jews were previously in captivity for some time and they had this bad habit of, of worshiping false gods, worshiping idols, giving their affections away to other things and then what God would do because God's a jealous God because jealous people get what? Jealous. God would get jealous and he would pull his hands off of his people and then the enemy would come in and defeat them, take them captive, bring them into slavery until at some point God says, I had enough. And then God would anoint a man and send him in and that man would go in and God would use him to restore his people back to himself. This was a pattern you'll read in the Old Testament. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll see this pattern happen over and over and over again. And if you look closely at your life, you'll see a pattern in your life where there's times you feel close to God, but then there's times you feel like you're enslaved. Maybe to work, maybe to your schedule, maybe to God knows what, right? 
So this is a time the nation of Israel is coming out of captivity. God's sending in Nehemiah to restore them. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the emperor Artaxerxes. A cupbearer was a very important person. <laughs> a cupbearer had to be highly trusted. What did the cupbearer do? If the king was going to drink something, the cupbearer would drink it first. And if it didn't kill the cupbearer, then the king would drink it. Anybody want to be my cupbearer? <laughs> okay, Lee, you got the job. So, so Nehemiah was highly trusted. Artaxerxes told him, you can go back to Jerusalem and you can rebuild the walls around the city because during the crisis when God took his hands off the Israelites, they came under attack and the walls were torn down and the gates were torn down. The city was left in rubble, okay? And, and Nehemiah said, can I go rebuild my city? Artaxerxes said, yes, you can. But when Artaxerxes made that decision, it made all the other kings around him mad because they didn't want Jerusalem or they didn't want the Israelites to rebuild Jerusalem. One king in particular named Sanballat was highly upset about the decision. So God sends Nehemiah, his man, for the moment to not only rebuild the city, but in the process of rebuilding the city, he rebuilds God's people. And that's where we're at today. As a church here at OSC and across the globe. The church is struggling. If the world's struggling, I promise you this much, the church is probably struggling too. We got to do something about it. So let me show you, we're going to walk verse by verse all the way to verse nine today. The first thing I want to show you is the intimidation of the enemy. Nehemiah 4, 1, 1 to 3. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this message. We thank you for your word, the truth that sets us free. God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Help us to hear the truth and help us to see the greater plan. Help us to see our own lives in comparison to your scripture. And God, show us, give us fresh vision today for our, our own lives and speak to us today, Holy Spirit, no matter what it is, speak to us today through this message in Jesus' name, amen. Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something out of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, the stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. So Nehemiah's enemies are now mocking him. There's an intimidation going on. Let me, get, let me just let me warn you today. The minute your heart changes to surrender your life to God and do what he says before what you say, the enemy's going to come and he's going to try to convince you not to. Are you hearing me? The enemy of your soul is always trying to convince you that what God has called you to do will never work. 
That'll never work. That'll never work. That ain't going to work. That ain't going to work. It'll never work. That ain't going to work. God's not going to do it. God's not going to show up. Watch what he's really trying to convince you of. He's really trying to convince you that God doesn't work. And it's all in order to get you to take his substitute. His substitute. Because not only does he try to intimidate you, but he comes alongside with a substitute. Come on, anybody ever need something? Anybody ever been in need? You can raise your hand in church. You can say, amen, this is a free church. We live in a free country. It's okay. You're not going to get reprimanded. Anybody ever been in need? Okay, all of us, right? When you need something, you should be going to God with your need, right? When you go to God with your need, depending on your need, you, we, we usually attach a time frame to it. Come on, somebody. Like, God, you got 30 seconds to show up. Like, you don't show up in 30 seconds, I'm going to eat this double cheeseburger with bacon, french fries, and a, and a malt. But I'm trying to be healthy, but you better show up in 30 seconds. Lord, help us. But we cry out to God for what we need. But when it doesn't come when we want it or even how we want it, the enemy's always there with a substitute, a bypass. Intimidating you. That ain't gonna work. That ain't gonna work. That ain't gonna work. Take this, this'll work. And if we're not careful, instead of waiting on the Lord, we'll take the substitute that the enemy gives us. And in the process, what we really lose is what we don't understand. You really lose an encounter with God. That's what we're missing today is an encounter with God. You're one encounter with God away from your life forever changing. And an encounter doesn't have to be in a church service, people. Encounters are in your everyday life. But as long as we take substitutes... We never get the real thing. It's an attempt to keep you from seeing God work. Because here's what the enemy knows. That the minute you experience God working, you're going to be hooked. You'll be changed. And he'll have a hard time getting you back. So he don't want you to even see it or experience it. That's why the Bible says to wait on the Lord. You know, he's doing something in the waiting. Just because you can't understand why he's waiting or making you wait doesn't mean that he ain't moving. Come on, somebody. It doesn't mean that he's asleep. It just means he's doing something. He's setting something up. Sometimes he won't heal you the minute you ask for it because he wants to gather up more people to find out about your problem so when he does heal you, he has a greater impact. So instead of complaining about not being healed right this minute, won't you just wait on the Lord, trust that his way is greater than yours, and just wait until he does what he does. So how many times have you allowed the enemy to convince you that God wouldn't work. Remember what Jesus said in John 15, verse 7. Listen to this, it's conditional. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, listen to what Jesus says, you may ask for what? 
anything you want. And what? It will be granted. Now, Jesus, you know we're a little gangster. You know we're a little selfish. You sure you want to say that? But you see, it's conditional. Because here's the condition. You can ask for anything you want, and it will be granted if he remains in you, or you remain in him, and his words remain in you. Because this is what Jesus knows. That if in, in the context of the relationship, if you're in relationship with him, you're not going rogue. You're not going gangster. You're not going self-centered. You're going kingdom. Hmm. Maybe a good indication when you're getting off course is when you start to get self-centered instead of kingdom-centered. Ouch! Maybe, maybe when it becomes more about you than God's kingdom, then maybe you're getting self-centered and you're thinking it's about you, but it's really not about you. So when you're doing what God says to do, he will cause that work to come to completion if we'll keep on with it. Because watch this. God never starts something he can't finish. Ah, that's hope for prodigals. Come on, somebody. That's hope for all them children sitting up in children's church today. We don't babysit kids. We plant seeds in kids. We train kids. Why? Because you put a seed in them and God starts to work in them. His word says that if I start it, I'm going to finish it. They may run buck wild for 20 years, but God will pull them back in with that seed that was put in them in those little buildings. So don't tell me. Don't tell me he can't do it. When he starts it, he will finish it. That's the intimidation of the enemy. Nehemiah makes a stand. I want to show you that next in verse 4 and 5. Listen to it carefully. Then I prayed. Nehemiah is speaking. Then I prayed. Hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not block out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of who? Who? Who's that? Oh, good answer. Y'all better than the first service. It's because you had more coffee. Pay attention, Nehemiah said, I. Then I prayed first. You know what leaders do? Leaders go first. That's what leaders do. You want to lead your household? That means you're going to go first. If God's going to move in your house as the leader, move in your family as the leader of your house, he's going to move in the leader first. Guys hate that. Every time I counsel marriages, the guys go, why everybody always beating up on me? Because you the leader, bruh. None of this is going to change until you change. I don't like it either. But it's the way God designed it. Leaders go first. I made a habit of watching my leaders, those who lead me. I pay attention to my leaders because I, I've learned that if I see them going through something, I can bank on it. I'm getting ready to go through it too. If I see them pressing in and, and pushing through and digging into God by faith and trusting God for miracles, I know that I'm getting ready to have to dig in too. 
Do you see what I'm saying? Leaders go first. Don't be afraid to be a leader. You go through it first, but watch this, you get out of it first. <laughs> I don't know if that helped or not. I'm trying. Nehemiah goes first. He prayed. When a leader sees something, he does something. He prayed. I prayed. Watch what Nehemiah does. Because this is what all leaders should do. Nehemiah takes his offense to God. He didn't take it to the builders. He took his offense to God. Why is that important? Because Nehemiah didn't need other people's opinions. Nehemiah needed a word from God. So when you get in trouble, when you get your feelings hurt, when you get disappointed, when you're hurt, when you're depressed, and you're down and out, don't go running to your friends. Run to God. Run to God first. Come on. Run to God first, because when you run to other people first, all you get is confused. Because they're not God. Look at me. I'm not God. You better go to Jesus before you come to Pastor Jamie. <laughs> That's for my own help. Thank you. I forgot to get one. Leaders go first. Nehemiah took his offense to God, the only one who could do something about it. He didn't go to his friends. He didn't go to Artaxerxes. He didn't go to his builders. In fact, he didn't even go at his enemy. He went to God first. What does God say about this is the question we should all ask first. What does God say about this? That's living a submitted, surrendered life. You're not going to God first. Sorry, but you're independent. You're full of pride. If you're not asking God's permission to do something, you're living on your own. You're running your own race. You're driving your own boat. That's just what it is. And if you can't go to God with it, then you probably shouldn't do it. <laughs> Thanks for all the amens. Amen. Notice something else. Go back to the verse. I want you to notice how Nehemiah prays. One more. Then I prayed, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. Watch this. May their scoffing fall back on their heads. And may them, they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. Is that nice? Is that a nice prayer? That is not a nice prayer. We living in a day and time where nice prayers don't work no more. God's looking for men and women with a strong spiritual backbone who will stand against temptation, who will stand against the intimidation, who will stand against the persuasiveness of the enemy, who will stand against anything 
their own independence. God's looking for men and women with a spiritual backbone who will take a stand and speak into this world and just not be nice. Now, that doesn't mean we have to run out and be a bunch of mean people. But you can be firm and gentle. You can be couraged and kind. You can be bold and kind. Come on. But let me tell you something. When the enemy comes at me and he comes at my family and he comes to my house, I'll pray nice. Let somebody break into my house. If I can't get to the gun, they're going to get the gun. And I'm going to beat the cheese out of them. I'm not going to be nice. I'm going to beat the cheese out of them until the cops come. Sorry. I had a moment. Same time to be nice, though. There's a kingdom to be built. There's an enemy running rampant that needs to be shut down. And he's been slowly lulling Christians to sleep. And it's time to stop. So Nehemiah's prayer wasn't nice. Look at the builder's attitude in verse six. At last, the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city for the people had worked, watch this, with what? Enthusiasm. The people worked with enthusiasm. Halfway of the original height was rebuilt all around the city in a matter of no time. Why? Because their attitude was good. Come on, we tell our kids all the time, you better check your attitude. Who's telling you to check your attitude? When are you going to check your attitude? Miss Thang. Just because you're the parent don't mean you got the free right to have an attitude, though I've told my kids that before. They had a good attitude. The work was rebuilt halfway up as far as it was originally in no time because of their attitude. Your attitude has a lot to do with it. Come on, somebody. Your attitude has a lot to do with it. Listen to how King James, New King James says it. The people had a mind to work. Their mind was set on God's work. Not what I want. Not my fleshly desires. Not my hungers. Not my longings. Not these things that are creeping around inside of me. My mind was set on the work that was in front of me. Their mind was set on their work, not the threats of the enemy. They were busy with the work God gave them and their attitude was great. They worked with enthusiasm and their mind was on that work. Let me give you a couple of lessons I've learned over the last two years. Four lessons I've learned. Maybe you can relate to some of these. Number one, I learned that I can be affected by things, by the things around me in either a good way or a bad way. <laughs> I thought I was Superman until two years ago. I realized I'm an emotional guy. Don't tell nobody, but I realize I'm sensitive. Like, 
I'll never show it, but, you know, like I know what I feel inside. I ain't going to tell nobody. That's what guys, guys don't tell. But I can be affected by the things around me, either good or bad. The second thing I learned is that my heart is sensitive, but its condition is extremely important. <laughs> extremely important. The third thing I learned is that I'm responsible for the condition of my heart. Nobody else is. That's what's wrong with marriage. As we come into marriage all jacked up and we blame the other person for the condition of my own heart. They're not responsible for your heart. You're responsible for the condition of your heart. But yet we'll take it out on other people and we'll accuse other people and we'll blame other people. Because we're not taking responsibility for our own heart. And the fourth thing I learned is that I have to guard my heart above all else by carefully choosing what to feed it and what not to feed it. I know this. I don't watch news much at all. I'm, I'm saying, like, I don't even watch regular TV anymore. And all we had was an antenna. So it's bad when you can't watch nothing on an antenna. Come on, somebody. I watch videos on YouTube, mostly farming videos. <laughs> I got a few pig preachers I like to listen to. I listen to them on YouTube. And every once in a while, I'll see an interesting Fox News or Newsmax video about politics and I'll click on it and I can be like great like everything's fine and it could be an eight minute video and I'm thinking nah, eight minutes ain't gonna wreck me five minutes in I want to assassinate somebody I'm ready to go to another country I'm ready to move into the woods so nobody can find me. I'm going off the grid. I'm going to be the mountain man. I mean, nobody's going to find me. Me and Cheryl are going to live up in a little cave and our teeth going to rot out and nobody's going to find us and we ain't going to be affected by nothing. Five minutes. Pray for me. I need some help. But it doesn't take much to change the condition of my heart. Do you know what I'm saying? So I can listen to people and the conversations we have and I can tell you what you've been feeding on because what you're showing is the condition of your heart. I can get easily frustrated by the way things have gone. As a church, it seems like every time we start to gain momentum, something happens and we lose it. Mona, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but about two and a half years ago, when did Elson die? About two and a half years ago, Cheryl and I woke up at 5.30 in the morning. The phone was going off. We grabbed the phone to find out that Mr. Elson had just died. And we took off to the hospital, threw some clothes on first, went to the hospital and was there to pray with you guys but that moment knocked the wind out of me. I can't imagine what it did to Mona, but I know what it did to me. Mr. Elson, Mr. Elson was a pillar in the church. He was the church grandfather. There's kids that were promoted last week that he used to rock on his lap and he spoke into their life and he was gentle and he was kind. And he just died. And I had to get up, that was a Sunday morning, and I had to get up and tell the church that he died and then try to preach a message. 
And then I lost another good friend, Frank. All of a sudden died. Every time we seem to be gaining momentum, every time we seem to be building some wall, here comes something to knock the wind out of your sails. You don't know where it comes from and it hurts. And you get hit and you get knocked off your feet and you, you, you try to get back up and you try to keep going and you try to press on and you try to be a man of faith and a man of God, but honestly, it hurts. Then COVID hits and they shut the church down. People are panicked. Then a hurricane comes. Then another hurricane comes. Then a flood comes. Then we get this goofy presidential election. And then everything else that's happened since, and I just sit here, some days, can I just be honest with you? Some days, I can just get like totally frustrated. There's some days I just want to throw the towel in, just go, I quit. I'm done. I'm not trying to lead a church through this. This is too hard. People tired. I'm tired. They want to quit. I want to quit. I feel real good now that I'm getting this off my chest. <laughs> I wish I could tell you how many times I've wanted to quit in the last two years. I'm not saying that for you to feel sorry for me. You think about quitting every day too. You're going to quit this, you're going to quit that. You... But I'm not quitting. Let me show you the plans of the enemy. So the builder's attitude was great. Stuff was getting done. The kingdom was getting built as long as the attitude was good and the leader was leading. But the enemy has a plan. Verse seven and eight, listen to this. But Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, Ammonites, and Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired. They were furious. Now at first they were in a rage. Now they're furious. You know what I realized when I was studying this? The devil sure is moody. Right? Like, that brother's moody. Like, dude, you need to get over it. Anyway. So, so they all made plans. Say plans. plans. To come and fight against Jerusalem, and watch this, to throw us into what? Confusion. The plan was to fight against us and to throw us into confusion. Not to take us out, but to throw us into confusion. You know, the enemy can't take you out, but he can throw you into confusion. Let's look at Nehemiah's enemies for just a minute. Sanballat, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites. Sanballat was north of Jerusalem. The Arabs were south of Jerusalem. The Ammonites were east of Jerusalem, and the Ashdodites were west of Jerusalem. Can you say surrounded? Question, do you feel pressure all the way around you? Do you feel pressure to conform? Pressure to agree? Pressure to disagree? Pressure and instability, like you don't know what's going to happen all the way around you? 
You know, if you listen to the news and you got some actual true reports over the last six, eight months to a year, everything that's happening across the globe is biblical. Earthquakes, natural disasters, droughts, massive floods, fires. Then you throw the people in the mix and it really gets crazy, right? All across the globe, things are going crazy. We feel surrounded. Like, what's going to happen? Well, let me tell you what's going to happen. The world's going to come to an end. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to pick up all his people. We're going to get the heck out of here, and we're going to go to eternity in heaven. And it's going to be good because there ain't going to be no humidity. ain't going to be no mosquitoes and no calories. Come on, my people with a little extra. He was surrounded. And they made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. You got to understand this today. The goal of the enemy today is confusion and fighting. He's trying to confuse you. People are making decisions that are blowing your mind right now. Come on, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Little boys thinking they're girls. Little girls trying to be boys. Day right! Ain't ever going to be right. Dude trying to have babies. What? I'm not going to go there. What does it mean to be confused? The definition of confused is to mix. Watch this, to mix. Think about it. Just stick with me. To mix. So God gives us a plan. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbors yourself. Go make disciples. That's the plan. You know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to mix in a few things. Put a few more things in the mix. Mix in, why? Because when he mixes some other things into that, then you get confused. When you get confused, you don't build. It means to mix. It means to disorder, to perplex, to throw the mind into disorder. When we are confused, we're not completely focused. If my mind is on too many different things, I struggle to keep building. How many of you, your mind can wonder? How many of you sometimes can't sleep at night because your mind won't shut up? <laughs> Come on, I gotta go take you a melatonin or two. Confused. Check this out. God gave the nation of Israel many victories. They got victories not because they were warriors. The Bible never says that, the, that Israelites were warriors. They were just children of God. But they got victories and they had a reputation for defeating their enemies, but yet they weren't warriors. How did they get those victories? Well, if you read the Old Testament, a lot of times God would go into the enemy's camp and cause confusion, and a lot of times the enemy would kill itself. God would defeat them with confusion. You see it? Now, if God can defeat his enemies with confusion... Cannot Satan defeat us with confusion? Can he not use confusion the same way? Could it be that confusion is a setup for defeat? Maybe, amen, I'll, okay. So the enemy's trying to get the builders to put down their tools, leave the project, and start fighting with things they don't have no business fighting with. This is what's crazy, though. It was just plans. No army ever gathered up. No chariots were ever mounted. 
nobody ever started marching. Just plans. Just plans. Deuteronomy 32, 39 says this. Listen to this. Now see that I, even I, am he, and there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. We can never, ever forget that God is sovereign. He is God. And if he's sovereign, that means the enemy's not sovereign. And if God says there's nobody else like me, then that means there's nobody else like me. And if he says nobody can take you from my hand, then that means nobody can take you from his hand. You gotta come back to the place where God is God. And he's sovereign. He's over it all. Amen? Let me wrap this up. The enemy comes with intimidation. Nehemiah makes a stand. The builders have a good attitude. Then the the plans of the enemy get exposed. And I'm gonna show you next week what God did with their plans because God's always up to what the enemy is doing. And the final point is the builders take a stand. You gotta see this in verse nine. Watch what it says. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Up until verse nine, Nehemiah prayed, I prayed. At verse nine, we prayed. Come on, come on. You gotta walk into this. I'm leading and I'm gonna keep on leading. I just want you to know I'm tempted to quit sometimes, but I ain't gonna quit. God didn't put no quit in me. I'm gonna keep leading and I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna build and I'm gonna guard. But today, something's going to have to transform in you. And you're going to have to pray. And we're going to have to pray. And we're going to have to stand. And we're going to have to build. And we're going to have to guard. And when we do, all the enemy is going to have to do is back up. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Let me see if I can flip that around a little bit for you. In order to protect yourself, you need to pray to God and guard your city day and night. Now watch this. They prayed and they did. They prayed and they did. They didn't just pray and not do. They prayed and they did. What did they did? (laughs) They did whatever was humanly possible after they prayed. Okay, we're we're not supposed to stand by and do nothing or pretend like it's not happening. We're called to pray and to do whatever is humanly possible. But you can only do whatever is humanly possible after you pray. Otherwise, you become independent. (laughs) That's why you pray. When you pray, you get the do. When you don't pray, you do you. And that's where you get in trouble. (laughs) And I'm about to get confused with what I'm saying. (laughs) We pray and we guard. How often? 
day and night. Ten times a day if I need to. I'm sorry, but your once in a week prayer is going to have to change. You're going to have to bust up into some daily prayer. You might have to get you some multiple time during the day prayer. You may have to pray on your way. You may have to pray while you're in it. You may have to pray while you're feeling it. That's when you should be praying. When you're ready to throw, punch somebody. Lord, help me. Oh, Jesus, I'm about to hit somebody. That's what I do. You do you, I'll do me, whatever. Just... Nehemiah's influence is quickly working. Pray and guard your heart above all else because it determines the course of your life. What do we do in these times right now? We pray, we guard, and we build. Next week, I'm going to show you how they finished the wall. It didn't look like how they started the wall, but they still finished the wall. Amen? Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and then I'm going to get a response from you. standing for today you need to answer these questions to yourself what are you standing against are you building if you are are you building what God wants you to build can find ourselves in any one of these places today. What are you standing for? Are you just standing for you? Is it all about you? Is it all about what you want? Have you gotten so confused that you've lost sight of all that God's trusted you generations coming after you the people standing next to you the people you haven't met yet the ones you'll get a chance to disciple the ones you'll get a chance to love what are you standing for today what are you standing against back against the enemy or are you just letting him have his way convincing you to do whatever it is that you're doing however it is that you want to do it or are you resisting him the word says you resist him he flees from you
Jesus said, build my kingdom, seek me first, and I'll take care of yours. It's always better if he takes care of ours. Are you confused? Have you allowed the enemy to mix in some things into this great work that God started in you? Have you allowed the enemy to mix some things into that? If so, then just go back to where you started today. Go back to the moment with Jesus where it was just you and him and everything was clear and it was clean. Go back to that. And build again from there. If it's rubble, it's rubble. Just rebuild it. Start over. Confess. Repent. Start over. Go back and make it right.
for anticipating my return. Thank you for starting the work that only you can finish. I can't heal myself. I can't fix myself. I can't satisfy myself. Everything I need is in you, Jesus. And I come running back today to you, Jesus. To you, Jesus. I surrender to you, Jesus. Can we start again? Can you rebuild me? Yes, you can. So, Father, right now, I pray for every person that responded every person that in their heart right now wants to return, wants to surrender, wants to give up their rights to their life. I pray for those people right now. God, just like you've done with me, you'll do also with them. You'll run up alongside them. You'll put your arm around them and you'll walk with them. Thank you for that. We trust you with the unknown. We trust you with tomorrow. as myself, 
and to make disciples. That's what I'm committed to, to build God's kingdom until he sends Jesus to come and get me away from here. I'm committed to do that. I give you my word. I'm committed to lead you as a pastor into that place. The question is, do you want to come? Do you want to come? Do you want to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Do you want to love your neighbor as yourself? And do you want to go and make disciples until Jesus returns? I do. Do you want to come? You're welcome to come. That starts a couple of ways around here. The first way is showing up tonight for prayer and worship. My God, can we show up for a prayer night? Can we pray tonight? Show up for prayer and worship. Nobody's ever died from showing up to prayer and worship. Never heard of it. The second thing you need to do is you need to join a life group. Sign up. My God, and then show up. Yeah, but you know, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm going to schedule it. You know, kids over here, kids over there. Listen to me. I don't care. God didn't put you on the planet to build a t-ball team. You're here to build his kingdom. If your kid needs to quit the t-ball team, then they need to quit. Uh, you don't like me now. That's okay. But I'm going to tell you the truth before you stand in front of Jesus one day trying to make an excuse for why you didn't grow and why you didn't make disciples because somebody had to go play t-ball or whatever else it might be that you're giving God excuses with. If you got to cut something out your calendar, cut it out the calendar. Get into a life group. Come for a prayer meeting. Dig in. If we're going to build, then let's build. Amen? Let's build. Let's stop playing church. Let's do this thing. Let's go all in. Nobody's ever died from going to a life group. I've never heard anybody go to a life group and come out and say, you know what, I should have never done that. Anybody walk away from a prayer meeting going, that was a waste of time. I'm done. I love you. I'm going somewhere. Is you coming? Come on with me.